Let's uh, pray and we'll look at Hebrews chapter 9. Father, thank you for your word. I do pray that you guide and lead tonight as we look into this chapter. And uh, thank you for the book of Hebrews and all the instruction, the warnings, the truth that's in it. And I pray that it will have an impact on each of us. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 9 is a fairly long chapter, so I'm going to do a fair amount of reading. I'll try to do it so that it's not boring. Hebrews chapter 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. And so if you read through the book Leviticus and uh, and Exodus as they built the tabernacle, uh, there were two equally sized parts of it. One was the holy place and the other was the holy of holies. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies, having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna. Uh, the ark of the covenant was sort of like my mom's cedar chest, a small thing with a lid on it. And, uh, and so inside they kept things, and they kept some of the manna, they kept Aaron's rod, which budded, uh, and the tables of the covenant, which were the uh, stone tablets that uh, Moses uh, was received from God. They were in that as well. And above it were the cherubim of glory. And so these two angels were on top of this thing with their wings touching, overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. So there was regular things that took place in the holy place that a number of the priests were able to do in the sense of the bread, lighting the the candle, various things that took place on a daily basis. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. So these sacrifices that were done under the old system, the old covenant, uh, he says they cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Since they relate only to food, drink, and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. And so the first covenant was intended to be temporary from the very beginning until a time of reformation, which would have been the time of Christ's coming. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, that is the tabernacle that is in heaven and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So one of the purposes of the book of Hebrews is to persuade uh, Jewish believers not to go back to their old system. And so he continually compares the old covenant, the old system of the sacrifice of animals and lambs and goats with the new covenant, which is Jesus. How much more 
will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, one of the things that uh, you've heard me say before is that Old Testament saints didn't go into the presence of God. Uh, they went to a place called paradise. And the reason for that is because sin hadn't been taken care of. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, it says he led a whole host of captives, those who were separated from God, with him. He, there was a big parade entered heaven behind him, all these Old Testament believers. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, so Jesus' death took, play, took care of those sins uh, that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where the co covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who makes it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and, and sprinkling both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one must almost say, All things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one. The true one is in heaven, God's temple, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. To appear in the presence of God for us, he is our intercessor. Uh, when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. That means it goes to him and he takes it to the Father in the presence of God for us on our behalf as our intercessor. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, so I'm going to die, and now Jesus comes back, you are as well. It is appointed to, for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. After this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. <clears throat> so in your notes, number one, sin is our problem. Did you get some notes, Scott? Did you get some notes? There's some over there on the table if you'd like. Sin is our problem. God created us in his image and likeness. But for love to be real, we needed to be able to choose and we, and we sin. God is holy and sin must be atoned for. So if we go back to the very beginning before there was a moon, a star, an earth, an angel... Uh, before the foundation of the world, as it were, and God, uh, the Trinity, is planning the future. And so the question is, he created um, Frank in his image and in his likeness. And, uh, oh, two Franks. 
in his image and in his likeness. And the question is, why? What was God's reason for creating us in the first place? The answer is that we would live with him forever. So that we could live with him forever. In other words, this isn't the ultimate purpose where we are now, this life. The ultimate purpose is heaven. Eternity with him. But a process needed to be, uh, be, uh, to be brought about whereby we would become like him in character and also, uh, even though we use the, uh, use the word worthy, uh, Paul uses that word worthy, is not talking about sinless in the sense of worthy, but there is a point at which he says that we are worthy of him. And that worthiness is based on our love for him and our submission to him and our following him. And so he created this world and created us in his image and his likeness and life is designed to sort of sort out the sheep from the goats as it's described in Matthew chapter 25. He separates at the end of the age the sheep from the goats. Uh, the sheep, he said, enter into the kingdom prepared for you. The kingdom prepared for you from the very beginning. And so life has a purpose. That purpose is to sort out the sheep and the goats, those who are worthy of him, and then to develop their character by the things that life brings into our life. The trials, the pressures, the responsibilities, all of that develops our character so that we are like Christ and so he can enjoy us, fellowship with us forever and ever and ever. So in order for uh, us to be worthy, that is, we follow him, serve him, and love him. Love isn't love unless there's a choice. And so God knew that in the giving of uh, the choice, uh, we would sin. And so in the very beginning, that problem was uh, planned out and solved for. Jesus, uh, the plan of him dying on the cross was also... Uh, plan from the very, very beginning. Uh, let me read the first seven verses of Hebrews 9 again. Now even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which were the lampstand the ta and the table, the sacred bread, this is called the holy place. Behind the, the holy place, the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded and the tables of the covenant, that is the Ten Commandments, and above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship, into the second only, the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people. Sins of the people uh, committed in ignorance. And uh, so we all sin and don't realize it. And so this blood offering that was taken into the holy place that the high priest did uh, was to make atonement for the sins of the people. So now... Uh, I'm so thankful that I don't live under the Old Covenant. I can't imagine they wanted to go back to the Old Covenant, but they did, and so he's convincing them that the, the New is much better. Number two in your notes, the Old Covenant really didn't work very well. It was primarily a prelude to the real thing, Jesus and the New Covenant. Paul 
Paul calls it uh, a tutor. Uh, that is, uh, the Old Covenant was like a tutor teaching us, leading us uh, to faith in Christ so that we understand what he did. The Old Covenant was sort of a picture, an illustration that was around for uh, uh, quite a few years, and it was an illustration or a picture of what Jesus, the Messiah, uh, would do. And so God probably realized that had he started with Jesus and hadn't gone from the Old to the New Covenant, uh, we wouldn't have gotten it. Uh, we wouldn't have understood the whole concept of substitu substituting something for us and the cleansing power of the blood. Hebrews 9, 8 through 14, the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time, a symbol or a type or an illustration Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. So the old system didn't work very well. Since they related only to food and drink, various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. That time of reformation is the coming of Christ. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How much more? Jesus is much better. Uh, he is God, He is perfect, and it only has to happen once rather than over and over and over again. Number three, one of the purposes of the sacrificial system was to remind people of their sins and to cleanse them of the guilt of the sin committed. So we have a, a, a practice now that uh, has a basically the same purpose. What is that? Communion. And so when we eat the bread and drink the, the cup, it's a picture of the body and the blood of Jesus. And the purpose of communion is to remind ourselves uh, of our sins and the fact that Jesus has cleansed them to remember what he did for us. And so the sacrificial system had a similar purpose. Uh, and it was, uh, there was the whole book of Leviticus about the... the uh, various offerings and sacrifices that they were to do throughout the course of a year. And so if you read all of that, it was really detailed uh, in the sense of the number of sheep that were offered, uh, the number of ceremonies and celebrations during the year. All of that was a reminder for the people that they had a sin problem and needed to take care of it in order to have a relationship with God. Hebrews 9.13, For the blood of goats and, bull and, the, and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So one of the things 
that uh, we've been talking about through the book of Hebrews is how do you know you're really saved? And so one of the tests is that uh, we have a changed heart and we do things for God that are significant. We persevere. Uh, if we truly are saved, we won't fall away, at least not stay fall, uh, fallen away. And so he says, the Spirit was offered. Uh, he offered himself without blemish to God for the purpose of cleansing our conscience from dead works. And the reason is to serve the living God. Serving him is uh, one of the things that he expects that we do and is one of the basic uh, signs of the fact that we're saved. Somebody was uh, chatting with me about the, an individual that was here for the Easter service and prayed during the Easter service the prayer that was part of the sermon that was in the bulletin. And they chatted with the individual that invited them and they were asking me, what can I do to make sure that they don't drift away? I said, so important to get them to doing something uh, for the Lord. Uh, faith without works is dead. Faith without works will die. And so if you want an individual to grow in their faith and to become a true follower of Jesus, then doing something for him uh, is critically important. He cleanses us in order to serve the living God. Number four, good things are coming for those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the good things uh, he refers to uh, in this chapter is the millennial kingdom. Uh, he refers to it constantly because the millennial kingdom is part of the second, co uh, uh, the new covenant. So if you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, good things are coming. That is, Jesus is coming, the kingdom is going to be set up. And uh, last year, I think it was last year, two years ago, I did a sermon on describing what was going to, the kingdom was going to be like in the sense of the farming, uh, the fishing. Uh, the absence of disease, the absence of war, the absence of politics. Uh, Jesus is king of the world, but there's much uh, happening then as happens now, but the curse will be gone, and uh, th therefore you won't need Roundup for your garden, and uh, the crops will be so good that uh, you'll be sowing right behind the reaping. And, uh, and the thought of no politics right now sounds like a wonderful, wonderful uh, a time, and so there won't be any of the stuff that we have now, and there won't be any war, and there won't be any disease, and there uh, won't be any taxes, and so it's going to be a good, good thing. And so he says, good things are in store. Uh, Hebrews 9, I'll read that again. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Number five, those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb serve him. They serve him. They've been cleansed by his blood for the purpose of serving him. One of the uh, key uh, principles of the Christian life is that if you discover and function in the area of your spiritual gift, you will be basically superhuman. Uh, you will serve in an area that uh, will be 
uh, is potentially is, can serve to the l level that Jesus did when he was here. And uh, the joy that you receive, the fulfillment, the energy, all of that is, uh, is amazing when you plug into the area of your giftedness. And people regularly ask me how they can discover. And I say, you just uh, try something. And, uh, and if it doesn't work, then you try something else. And then if it doesn't work, you try something else. And pretty soon uh, you'll find something that fits. It's sort of like uh, when uh, you buy shoes. I almost said when ladies buy shoes, but uh, no, I didn't say that. Um, you try them on and they don't fit. You try another pair and, and they don't fit and you get another pair and you don't particularly like them. And after four or five or six pairs, you find the perfect pair of shoes. They fits well. It looks good. And so, but the average person doesn't do anything. Uh, and, and, and they think, well, I'll wait until I find out what my gift is. Well, you'll never find your gift. I think I told you this story before, but it's one of my favorite ones. When I was in high school, the pastor of our church that I was attending um, did the youth group, the high school youth group. We only had about six kids in youth group because there was only about 20 kids in the high school. And he, uh, in one of the meetings, said, he said, the most worthless people in any church are high school kids, which got my attention. I didn't like the thought of being worthless. And so he went on to explain is they, they, be, they don't do anything. Uh, they come and they expect to have a youth group meeting and they expect to have refreshments and they expect to have some kind of activity uh, for, the, uh, for them as kids to do periodically. And, uh, but they don't do anything in way of service for their church. And uh, so I remember that night thinking, I'm not going to be the most worthless person in the church. And so he said this, he said, whenever there is an opportunity to do anything, volunteer. And so the next Sunday, we had a, a wood furnace in our church. He said, there's some guys going up to chop firewood for the winter for our church. Anybody wants to help out, they're going to go uh, leave at 8 o'clock Saturday morning. And so uh, I volunteered and went and helped. And then they built some pre pews, and I volunteered and helped to do that. Um, they needed someone to do offerings, so I volunteered to, to do that. And uh, somebody nominated me to be the Sunday school superintendent when I was a senior in high school. And somebody in the business meeting says, you can't be a Sunday school superintendent when you're still in high school. And somebody else says, where does it say that in our Constitution? And so I got elected to be the Sunday school superintendent when I was a senior in high school. Uh, that's just because I volunteered to do everything. And, uh, and then I got asked to s teach a high school uh, youth group lesson because pastor was going to be gone. And then when I did it, there were two parents that were there. And uh, one of the parents came up to my mom, who was also there, and said, uh, your son is a really good speaker. And I thought, I wonder if that's my gift. But chopping wood, building pews, uh, being Sunday school superintendent, taking the offering, none of those really seemed to be my spiritual gift. Uh, but I kept trying until I discovered what it was. And so if you 
find your gift and then develop a ministry uh, around that gift serving will be easy because you will have energy that comes from him you will have resources that come from him you'll have input uh, if it's regarding speaking teaching that comes from him and uh, if you don't know what it is you ought to just keep uh, bouncing around until you figure out what it is and uh, you don't have to give it a name uh, but just sort of know what it is that you do well and that you enjoy and that other people seem to be edified from Number uh, Hebrews 9.14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Number six, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Communion is not fully appreciated if we don't understand the emphasis on the blood by God. And so the theme uh, of the blood, if you go in the Old Testament and just follow the verses that talk about it, uh, you will see it mentioned over and over, and then the book of Hebrews uh, refers to it often and regularly. And again, Hebrews 9, 14, how much more will the blood of Christ uh, cleanse your conscience from dead works? Hebrews 9, 15 through 22, for this reason, he is the mediator, mediator, uh, that means he's in charge overseer, of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the inter eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is not valid when men are dead; uh, it is not valid only when men are dead. For it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. Every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law. He took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet, wool and hyssop, sprinkling both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And so when we take the communion service, when we drink the cup, that we're reminded uh, it's no longer the blood of bulls and calves. It's Jesus' blood that cleanses us. Number seven, we must all stand before Jesus and be judged at the end of our life. The judgment seat of Christ. And uh, that is the first thing that will occur after we die is we stand before Christ and are judged and we are recompense rewarded for what we've done, whether good or bad. And we take those rewards with us into heaven. So, um, just give you some of the rewards that we'll probably receive. One of them is we're going to be doing something when we get to the millennial kingdom. In other words, we're going to have responsibility, we're going to have a job. And the ultimate job... Uh, Jesus uh, says in the book of Revelation is to sit on a throne with Jesus and rule the world. And so it's sort of like being a policeman, but we won't have a gun and uh, probably won't drive a police car. I'm not sure what the mode of locomotion will be, but we, those who are, have the, uh, received the greatest rewards the judgment seat of Christ will be with Christ, will rule with him.
And that's promised in Revelation to those who are overcomers and those who are faithful. And so if you uh, don't have many rewards, then you're going to have another job and shoveling horse poop. What I think you'll probably be doing is be cleaning the fish that I catch. I'm not sure what it is, but it's going to be uh, not a cool job. Glory is another reward. It says that Jesus will give glory to us for eternity. That is, he will tell our stories in front of all of heaven. Uh, and there will be some who receive no glory. They've been there for a thousand years and never once has Jesus told a story about them because they didn't do anything worth telling a story about. Uh, and so we receive glory from him. 1 Corinthians 15 says, As star differs from star in brightness, so we will differ in glory in eternity. And so if you look at the stars and if you read about them, the difference in size and brightness uh, is a phenomenal. And that same difference will be evident in the millennial kingdom between those with great reward and those with none uh, whose wor works have all been burned up. And uh, so proximity to Jesus Somebody will be first, will have more rewards than anybody else, and they will be right next to Jesus, and somebody will be last, dead last, and they will be a long ways away from Jesus in the sense of fellowshipping with him, communing with him. So the judgment seat of Christ is intended to motivate us to live sacrificially. If the rewards weren't significant, uh, then it wouldn't be that big a deal. Uh, but they are significant, and so, uh, sacrificing, working, serving, giving in this life, all of that will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Um, verse 23, Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and then comes judgment. It's appointed unto men to die once, then comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So judgment uh, is one of the things that's in our future, standing before Jesus and having him recount what we've done for him in this life. Number eight, genuine salvation. Again, talking about uh, the proof of our salvation. Genuine salvation is one of the themes of Hebrews and a number of signs that a person is truly saved or given. And uh, if we look at all the signs in the book of Hebrews, there's five of them. Another one of these signs is that we are eager and anxious for the coming of Jesus to take us to heaven. And we're eager and anxious because we know and believe we're saved because we love him, we're serving him, we're following him. And uh, so generally speaking, with a couple of exceptions, most 
everybody in this room is going to be more eager than most because of our age and the number of aches and pains we have. And so Paul said it this way, in this body we groan, longing to be clothed with our new body. Uh, And so uh, I groan every morning just to be obedient to Scripture. In this body we groan, longing to be clothed with our new body. So those who are genuine born-again believers, uh, they have this hunger, this anticipation, this longing uh, for heaven, for eternity. Amen.